I, I mentioned earlier, and you know it, um, that this week is, of course, Canada Day, and, and I think before this service is done, we'll, we'll probably take some time and pray for our nation together as a, a family, but uh, one of the things that you often think about this time of year, you think about your home country, you think about your nation, and I realize that in this very room, there's several people born in other parts of the world, there's several people born um, all over the place, and we've all come and, and called this place home. My dad used to always sing the anthem a little bit different than everybody else, because of course, when we sing our anthem, which I think is the best anthem in the world, I really do, uh, it, is, it is a national hymn, and, and that is a beautiful thing. But my dad would always sing that part which says our home in native land. Well, he wasn't natively from here. So he would always say, my home in chosen land. Is it? And to him, that meant even more. It was, it was the land he chose, the land God sent him to. And uh, so whenever we sing that, we're reminded, God, keep our land glorious and free. It is a prayer. And then we say, Lord, we'll stand, Canada, we'll stand on guard for you. We, we better keep that promise because um, God placed us here as his ambassadors. It's important to remember, though, while we live in Canada and we might be citizens in a technical sense, or permanent residents, as some of you are, we understand that this is our home, but it's not our real home. And the scripture says our citizenship is in heaven. That's our true home. That's where we belong. That's, that's where we're from. That's where we hold our citizenship. And, and sometimes you get so accustomed to the culture you're placed in, you forget, this isn't home for me. This isn't my culture anymore. I live here, but I live here. I'm part of the consulate of heaven. I've been placed here. I'm, I'm on diplomatic duty. I stand here as an ambassador of Jesus Christ to the nation of Canada. That's right. And I'm saying that not as a preacher, but as a believer. Yes. You too are ambassadors for Christ Jesus in this nation to this nation. You've got to understand this may be our home, but it's not our permanent home. This may be our home, but it's not our original home. This is the place that God sent us as missionaries. This is the longest mission trip of your life. And we like Jesus. You know, when, God's, when God sent Jesus, he sent him as, as a man. Jesus came to earth, took on our humanity. And even to the culture he was sent, he dressed like them. He didn't dress in space clothes. He didn't dress... He didn't, he, he didn't, you know, speak a different language. When he came to his own people, when he came to, to, the, to the people he, were, he was living amongst, he ate their food, he dressed like them, he talked like them. And yet there was something so dramatically different about Jesus. He said, I'm not of this world. We read that last week. We spent a lot of time talking about Jesus and his relationship with the Father. And remember in John chapter 8, he says, I'm not of this world. I'm from above. And then he spoke to those people that were rebelling against God. He says, you're from below. You're from here. I'm from there. You're from earth. But remember what he says in John 17. He prays about his disciples. He prays and he talks to God about them. And then he says this. He says this to God about his own disciples. And then he says, and about those, I'm, I'm praying not just for them, but those that will believe the word that they preach and believe and come to be part of this family. He says, they're no more a part of this world than I am. They're no more of this world than I am. And I wonder if we've let that sink in as, as deep as it should be. Jesus said, we're no more 
a part of this world than he was. If anybody stood out, it was Jesus. See, sometimes we try to stand out on the surface level. That's, what, that's the areas we choose to stand out. But Jesus, on the surface, was a good Jewish man. He wore the clothes, he ate the food, he spoke the language. And unless the traditions and customs went contrary to the word of God, he kept the traditions and customs. Now, he wasn't afraid to go against them when they contradicted the will of the Father. He wasn't afraid to heal on the Sabbath. Sometimes he went out of his way to do things like that. But for all the, the regular culture stuff, he was one of them. But nobody would say that Jesus was normal. Nobody would say that Jesus really fit in. He was obviously different. And the Bible says the same thing about us. Jesus said the same thing about us. We're no more of this world than he was. One translation says, they're, more, they're no more defined by this world than I am. And I want you to know that you are not defined by the culture you were born into. You're not, you're not defined by the class you were born into or the type of family you were born into. Remember, we talked about this earlier in the service, but the scripture says, he talks about the Father, he talks about God, and he says, from whom every family on earth derives its name, we get our name from him. We share his family name. And it's cool, that, that is an amazing thought. We all came in the room and we all have the same last name. We bear his name, we bear his image, we bear his character. And that's a huge deal. So when we celebrate our nation of Canada or whatever your nation you're from, we've got to remember that is a great thing to stand on guard for this nation because we're missionaries here. And like, like God said to his people when they were in Babylon, he says, you pray for this city of Babylon. You pray for this place. And you pray for its prosperity because when God blesses this place, he blesses you. So these people are just blessed to have you in their city. That's what God said in Jeremiah. Tell them, pray for the city of Babylon. Pray. And he says, I will bless the land because you're here. But in the same sense, we can't forget that Babylon isn't our home. We might be in Babylon for a while, but we have still come down to the river every day and look and fix our eyes on Zion. We set our eyes to Zion and we say, just as these Israelites did when they were in, in Babylon as exiles, they look back over to their homeland and they say, oh Lord, let our hearts never forget Zion. Let, it, let our hearts never forget our homeland. This is where we are temporarily. This kind of talk can scare people off. You know, when Peter writes it, he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Well, not everybody wants to be an alien and a stranger. And we're not talking to alien like, you know, like the, our culture would call aliens. We're talking about foreigners. He says, I urge you as foreigners and strangers, people that don't belong here, people that are obviously from another place. And sometimes you felt like that. I imagine sometimes you've said things and your coworkers have looked at you like you were an alien. Not like out of this country, but out of this world alien. And in reality, you are. We're not of this world. Paul says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our home is. Another place, he says, Jerusalem is the mother of us all. He, and he's not talking about Jerusalem over there in Israel. He's talking about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. That is the mother of us all. That's the motherland. 
So when we talk about the motherland, we sing our songs about the motherland. You've got to realize that there are things around here. There are mountains and trees and all those beautiful things that still bear the fingerprints of God. And when we look at them, something inside of us jumps with familiarity. So it reminds us of home, even a home we don't remember ever being. It reminds us of home. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians six eleven says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained by your own affections. Now in like exchange I speak as to children, open wide to us also. So he's saying the reason we're not able to really go deep with you, the reason we're not able to minister to you like we want to is not because of us. We haven't held back anything from you. You've held back from us. He says, I'm begging you, I'm urging you, open your hearts wide to us. He says, we've opened wide to you. And he says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship is light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Now, you could take this to an extreme and go and move into the mountains and never have contact with anybody, but I I think we can all agree that's not what the Lord wants. I think if we'll use Jesus as our example and use the, the entirety of the New Testament tells us he has placed us as salt and light in the place that he's sent us. He says, Jesus gives one example. We know about the parable of the sower, which is the word going into people's hearts. But you know, he also says, there's another parable about sowing where he says, and the seed that went into the ground are the sons of the kingdom and the field is the world. Do you realize that you are the seed that God sowed into the world? So you're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. We belong but we don't belong. God's not trying to yank you out and say, let's all start a commune and, 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 you know, kick anybody out that doesn't agree with us. No, the very life that we have is meant to be shared, is meant to be spread. But he also says, guys, don't be fooled. You don't have a lot in common with these other folks. I find that if you stop noticing that you're a little bit weird and you're a little bit different, you're probably as not as salty as you think you are. You probably don't taste as much like, like heaven as you should taste because, you know, every day we understand as we get closer to him, we get a little bit, <laughs> we get further removed from what the world thinks we should be. And he says, what harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial being another word for Satan himself. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? So he's saying, don't partner don't make covenant with that. Don't, don't <laughs> whether it be marriage or business. He says, you know, be careful who you partner with. Then he says this. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we, we are the temple of the living God. Wow. We're the temple. The people are the temple of God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. I'm going to read this real slow because this is real big to me. 
I will dwell in them. And I will walk among them. Those two things are so majestic, so huge, so awesome. That he would dwell in us and he would walk amongst us. Then he says, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. We did not deserve that. In no way did we deserve such favor. But he says to us, I'll be your God. Whatever you need, I am that to you. I am. I will be your God. And you, as as messed up as we were when he found us, you will be my people, my tribe, my family. When he calls us his people, he's just not talking about his company. He's not talking about a group of people that work for him or a group of people that gather at a stadium to hear him preach. He's inviting us into his house. He says, I'm going to live in you. I will walk among you. What an amazing thing. You realize in the Old Testament, God had said this to his people But so much of it was a future promise because as much as God said to the Israelites, you're my people, there was still a distance, right? If you read the book of Hebrews, it says that we haven't come to Mount Sinai, this place where you were, you couldn't even touch the mountain where God's presence dwelt because you would die. You couldn't even let your animals touch the mountain. He says, we we haven't come to this mountain where people were terrified when they heard the voice of God because it meant that somebody might die. But we've come to Mount Zion. He doesn't say someday we're going to get to Mount Zion. He doesn't say that's, our, that's, that's in the future, in the sweet by and by. He says we have come to Mount Zion. And he talks about what's going to be there. He talks about what is there. He talks about the celebration. And, and the one distinguishing factor of Mount Zion that makes it different than Mount Sinai is that the blood of Jesus, he says, where the blood of Jesus speaks out and cries out better things than the blood of Abel. That means when we come to Mount Zion, the reason we don't die in the presence of God is because of his blood, which cleanses us and makes us righteous. Whereas the blood of Abel cried out about your own guilt. Now he says this, I will dwell in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. That, you might have your Bible promise book, and I thank God for those, those are cool. Where you look up and you say, I'm feeling this way, and it's got a bunch of scriptures. I think those are all great resources. But I'm going to tell you, there is no better promise, whether it be a promise for God taking care of you financially or healing your body or whatever, there is no greater promise than the one we just read. That one is huge. All this other stuff is good, but there is nothing bigger than God saying, here's my promise to you. I will dwell in you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you'll be my people. Now, you got to realize that's the biggest promise in the Bible. Right there. That's one of the biggest ones. It goes right along with those promises like in John where he says, he says, to those that believed in him, he gave the right to be the children of God. So many times when we think of the promises of God, we think of these surface things that need handling. Surface things are just that. They're surface things. And God wants to take care of the surface things. But they aren't the priority. They're not the biggest things. The biggest thing is that he would dwell in you and he would walk among you and he would be your God and you would be his people. That is the best thing that we've ever heard. And Jesus made that a reality. Thank God. He says in verse 17, therefore, because of what we just read, 
Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And don't touch what's unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. Wow. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. You see, so many times when people quote this, they quote the middle, but they forget it's sandwiched in these two magnificent promises. Usually people drag this out when they really want to bash somebody over the head, don't they? Because you're watching a movie that's a little bit worse than the movie they watch. So they'll say this. Now, I understand sometimes this verse has been very disciplining to me because I realize, boy, every now and then you wake up and you go, wait a second, I've drifted. I'm, be, I'm, be, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been marinated a little bit too much in the things of the world. I need to, I need to get out of this because I, but ultimately... He doesn't just put this command in, you know, separate from everything else. He says, therefore, it starts with a therefore. Therefore, because I just told you that I'm going to live with you, I'm going to live in you. Because I just told you, you get to be my people and I will be your God. Because of that, come out. Come to me. Come out from them. Be separate, just like I'm separate. You know, the word holy really At its basic root, the word holy just means to be separate. So the holiness of God, whenever they would call him holy, whenever we call him holy, we are speaking about the fact that there's nobody like him. And he is dramatically different. How many times in the Old Testament did he have to say, I'm not not a man. Sometimes you guys forget, I'm not human like you. I'm not a man that I would lie. Nor a man that I should repent. He reminds them, hey guys, I'm different. He says, my ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. Now here's the amazing thing, is he doesn't just say, I'm holy, you're dirty. Don't come too close. But he says, be holy as I am holy. He's called us to himself. God can't become less holy. So in order to be one with us, in order to say, I will dwell with you and I'll walk among you, he couldn't be less holy. He couldn't just say, I'll lay my holiness aside and I'll just hang out with you guys. Jesus laid the the garments of deity aside so that he could become one of us, fully God and fully man, and he could dwell amongst us and he could bring us back to God. But that's the thing. He didn't bring God to us. He brought us back to God. God didn't have to become less holy for you to live in his presence. He made you holy. And the blood of Jesus did the, did the legal work. But now he's saying, because you have been made holy on the inside, come out and be holy. Come out and, and walk and talk and act like me. You guys have been so long marinated in the people around you, you forgot you're my family. You're meant to look like me. I'm your dad. That's a beautiful thing that he says, because of this promise, let's come out. Let's be different. Let's be separate. Why? We're coming out of the world, but we're coming to where he is. Then he says, and he just makes it, it's a promise sandwich. He puts, <laughs> he puts that commandment right in the middle, but it's got a promise on top and a promise on the bottom. He says, you'll be my sons and daughters. I'll be a father to you. Isn't that what everybody's looking for? 
says, you will be my sons and my daughters. He says, I will welcome you. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That is magnificent. It's brilliant. And that's what he promises us. Now, is there anything in the world that can compare to that promise? Is there anything the world's offering us that that matches that? God Almighty would say, you'll be my people. Now, listen, some of you today might be saying, yeah. And I'm telling you, when you feel that, and you hear something like that, it is one of the red flags. It's the canary in the mine that your heart has become a little hard. And you need to get back and rediscover and taste and see that the Lord is good. May I I just tell you this? I'm not condemning you, but I'm telling you, if you're sitting here going, don't stay in that mode. That's a terrible place to be. Was he saying, open your heart to me, and I'll open my heart to you. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Some of us need to repent of a hardened heart. Repent doesn't mean that for the rest of your life you feel bad. Repent means to turn, change. Say, Lord, heal my hardened heart, soften it again. Thank God. Thank God for it. I want to read to you what, um, what later we come across. I, I mentioned the letter that Peter wrote to the church. And Peter wrote it right from what he called Babylon. Babylon as a city, which is now in modern Iraq, that Babylon didn't exist when Peter wrote the letter. He was talking about Rome. He understood that he was called to Rome. He died in Rome, but he was called to Rome. He oversaw the churches in Rome for many years. He understood something about Rome, that Rome, although it was the the capital of the known world at the time, might have been the capital of, you know, of Western civilization at the time. I realize that's a narrow worldview, but to them, that's what it was. At the same time, it was not his home. It was Babylon, and he was looking to Zion. You remember when Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, in fact, all of the people in Hebrews 11 are described as looking for a city whose builder is God. It says Abraham could have lived in tents. I mean, he could have lived in the nice cities. He could have lived in the condo in the city. But he chose to live in the tents in the promised land because he was looking for a different city. So anybody that's going to be anybody in the kingdom of God needs to know that you have a different home. Don't get too comfortable here. Put your roots down. Plant, you know, just like God said to the people of Israel, plant gardens. Plant gardens, plant fields, plant crops, bless the city. You're going to be part of it for a while. But don't get too comfortable. Because this isn't home. Thank God for Canada. I'm proud to be a a citizen of of this nation, but my true allegiance, my true citizenship is in heaven. That's that's the place that holds my heart. He says in in 1 Peter, very familiar in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, he's, he's talked about us as living stones that build a house in which God dwells in which we, we, the priesthood, offer sacrifices. He talks about the stone that the builders rejected, having become the cornerstone. Then he says, the people that trip over Jesus, there will always be people that trip over Jesus. Tripping over Jesus is a good thing. Not everybody's happy about it. See, I'm glad I tripped over Jesus. Are you glad you tripped over Jesus? Right? You found Jesus. Jesus found you. 
But he says some people trip over Jesus and they, and they swear at Jesus. They do not like it. They stub their toe and they're not happy about it. That's why we want this place to be a place where people hear about Jesus and we want him to be center because we want you to trip over Jesus at some point. We want you to run into Jesus. Now, some people will say, thank God, that's the cornerstone. Some people will say, ah, a rock of stumbling and a, and a stone of offense. But he says they stumble because of their own belief and their disobedience. And then he goes on and says, forget them for a minute, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Now, that chosen race means just what it sounds like. We, it's an ethnicity. You know, in Lloyd Minster, we've been so blessed to have the nations come to our city. It's the coolest thing. You walk around the city and you see people from all nations. Not all nations, but a lot of them. But you have to realize that as cool as that is, we are our own ethnicity. We're his. We're a chosen race of people. We are a royal priesthood. Now, I want to remind you, royal and priesthood only comes together in Melchizedek, in Jesus, and now in us. To be kings and priests, as he describes us in the book of Revelation. Kings and priests to our God. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people. Once again, that people is, is an ethnic group. It's a tribe. You are a people for God's own possession. Isn't that amazing? You're his tribe. He says, you're my tribe. You're my people. Then he says, so that, there's a reason for it, you might proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are his people. He says, I chose you as mine. I called you my possession. I called you my own. I gave you my name. And now you get to tell the world about me and what I've done for you, how I've called you out of darkness and how I've called you into my marvelous light. He says in verse 10, for you were once not a people. That means we were scattered. We were different groups of people, different ethnicities, different cultures, different races. He says, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just meditate on that. We were once a scattered ragamuffin group of different ethnicities and nations and tribes, but now we are the people of God. We're his. We're his tribe, his family, his nation, his people. That's got to be your number one identity. It says in Colossians 3, there's no more Jew or Greek in Christ in this renewal of the spirit that we're undergoing. He said, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. One translation says, everyone is defined by Christ and everyone is included in Christ. Do you see that this only works if the center of our tribe is Jesus? See, the more we, we drift off and, and define ourselves by different things, the, the more we get our eyes off of Jesus, and the more we see our differences, and the more our denominations matter, and the more our ethnicities matter, and the more our cultures matter, whatever they may be. But the more we fix our eyes on the sun at the center, just like it is in heaven. You know, the scripture talks about a day, 
It talks about this in the book of Revelation where he will be at the center of the city. And it says, they will need no sun or moon or stars for the sun in the center will be the light. There's no darkness in him. And so when we're fixed our eyes on him, all these shadows of, of what makes us different, it goes away. And we become his race, his tribe, his people. Now we are the people of God. You know, last week was uh, Father's Day. Not a lot of people knew in Canada. It was also National Aboriginal Day. And, um, you know, I, I, of course, my dad uh, was one of those guys that spoke several uh, of the um, native languages here in Canada. He spoke different dialects. He wrote it. He was one of the few guys on the reserve that could write in syllabic still. You know, that's, that's pretty rare. So they invited him to the reserve a couple of times to the reserve to teach the language, which was a fantastic thing. So we grew up in that. Mom, of course, came from Texas and went straight to the town next to the reserve. That was her reality, a very shocking shift. But what you find, what I found when you're over in a church in Asia or, you know, when you're over in another place or a northern reserve in Canada, all of a sudden, you feel sometimes you, you first arrive at these places and you, you're, you're in culture shock. But then you get in with the people of God and you begin to worship. And all of a sudden you go, ah, my people. Even when they're singing in a different language. I remember being in the Philippines singing songs. I had no idea what they meant except when they said, oh, Jesus, I recognize that. Or casting, casting. Okay, I get that, you know, and not knowing any of the words, but recognizing the Spirit of God and feeling like my spirit was singing along. So I sang the words, even though I didn't know what I was saying, but, but I, I got it. And you feel like, ah, I feel like I'm home again. If you ever traveled to another place and just gone to church in that different nation, you'll feel like you're home. You say, these are my people. That is a, that is a heavenly thing. You know, when, when us white folk first came to North America, we, we had some interesting times, interesting experiences. I mean, most of the tribe names that we go, that we talk about now, you might not know it, but those tribe names often weren't what they called themselves. Most of the tribe names as we know now are just what the white people said, what are you? Have you ever noticed that, that many of the tribe names mean the people? The Inuit, for example. What does Inuit mean? It means the people. What did we call them before? Eskimos. You're not allowed to call them Eskimos anymore, and for a good reason. We've got some Crees in the, in the church today. God bless the Crees. But the Crees called them the Eskimos, not as a friendly term. <laughs> Eskimo meant raw meat eater, and it was kind of a pejorative. It wasn't like, it wasn't like hey, those guys eat raw meat. Isn't that wonderful? It was like, oh, those guys eat raw meat. So when you call an Inuit person an Eskimo, they're not really big fans of that. So, so what, do you, what do we call you? Well, Inuit, what does that mean? It means the people. Okay. You go down to uh, the Delaware Indians. Well, the Delawares, they're named after some European guy that came over. In fact, my ancestor was 12 years old, came, came on the same boat as Lord Delaware. They named a river after him. And because those people were living near that river, that's what we called them, Delaware. Live with it. That's your new name. But if you were to ask them what their name was, they'd say Lenape. Lenape means the people. Sometimes they call themselves Lene Lenape. Do you know what that means? The real people. <laughs> well, sometimes the white folks came 
And they asked the natives, not just what your name is, but what, who are they? Well, you never ask the enemy what those people's names are. So they come to what we call the Pueblo people, people like the Hopi Indians. Well, you know what the Hopi, in their language, Hopi comes from a word which means the peaceful people. In fact, sometimes the peaceful little people. And if you've ever been to their villages, they got these cliff dwellings on the side of the rocks. It fits. You know why they built cliff, cliff, cliff dwellings? Because they weren't after anybody else's land. They just want you to stay off theirs, you know, just leave us alone. But these other tribes would come and attack them. So the Spanish come to these people and they say, we're going to call you Pueblo because those are the houses you live in. And the people who've had thousands of years of history go, okay, all right. <laughs> the Spanish go, who are those guys over there? And they go, oh, those guys. Those are the Navajo. Well, what does Navajo mean? It means the strangers. We're going to call them the strangers. Well, you don't ask other people what those people's names are. So now forever, the rest of their history, the Navajo are just called the strangers. That's what Navajo means. Well, you know, they see that other group over there and they say, those are the Navajo Dapache, which means the really mean strangers. <laughs> so then you have the Lakota living in the, in the, in the Dakotas in the northern U.S., the Lakota. Well, the Lakota, same thing, just means the people, the folks. That You ask somebody, who are you? We're, we're the people, right? Like, what else are you going to call us? But what do their enemies call them? They call them a long word, which I'm not going to go into, but the French shorten it to Sioux. But really, it just means those, those fierce, those mean people over there. Same thing as Iroquois. Iroquois, that wasn't their name. They had a name which meant the, the people that lived in long houses. But they asked the Hurons, who are those people? And Iroquois means really mean people, bad people. Can you imagine for the rest of your life, because we were the white people that wrote the books on this, for the rest of your history, you get to be known to the rest of the world as the bad people or the strangers, the people that live weird, raw meat eaters, whatever. Well, anthropologists have a name for this. It's called an endonym and an exonym. So an endonym is a name that you call yourself. An exonym is a name that comes from what other people call you. So unfortunately, so many of these tribes for the rest of their history are known by exonyms. They're known by names somebody else picked for them, which usually weren't that nice. And it strikes me that as Peter calls, he's, he's showing us how God has named us after himself. The people who bear his name from which every family on earth derives its name. And he says, you are now the people of God. That's your naming. That's who we are. That's our tribe name, the people of God. And yet for so long, we've lived by the exonyms. We've let other people define who we are. We've let the world tell us who we are. We've let the world tell us, oh, oh I mean, that's weird what you guys believe, or that's hateful, or, you know, this is strange, or this is, this is stupid, or whatever. And we've, we've let ourselves be defined by our surroundings rather than be defined by what the king and the head of our tribe and the head of our family, our father, calls us. This is our name, the people of God, and that is not a cheap name. That was dearly purchased. That was preciously bought. The name which is above every name that Jesus died to earn and he gave to us. It says in Philippians, when he emptied himself, 
He could have stayed up with the Father. He could have stayed up and enjoyed all the luxuries of heaven. But he emptied himself and he became one of us. And he took on the form of a slave even to the, and became obedient even to the point of death. Even death on a cross, the most humiliating death you could die. For this reason it says, Philippians 2, God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name. Which at that knee, at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. That is the name that has been bestowed on his people. He won that name. See, we, we just talk about names like there's something you call, there's a, there's a group of syllables put together that, that we call people by. But, but it, biblically, name was so much more than just a sound you made and people came to the sound. Name, it was everything you were. That's why in Proverbs it says a good name is worth more than gold and rubies and all these jewels. A good name. You know how many times does the Lord say, for my name is being reproached among the nations and that can't stand. Or for the glory of my name. And they say in Isaiah, they say, oh Lord, we wait for you. Eagerly we wait for you. For your name and your glory, your renown are are the desire of our souls. See, that is the heart of his people. Because now we bear his name. We've been given his name. That's our tribe. And we may be Canadian or whatever you call yourself. But at the end of the day, Canadian, American, African, whatever we are, comes under the name of Jesus. That is our true identity. And the more we focus on him as the leader, as him as the father, him who has welcomed us, and we come out. And the reason we're so freely willing to come out is what what did he say? Because I'll be in you. I'll walk among you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. I will be like a father to you. I will welcome you. I'll be your father. You'll be my sons and my daughters. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. In Hebrews, it talks about people that were being kicked out of their society, kicked out of their families, kicked out of their culture because they claimed the name of Jesus. And he says this to them, Jesus bore our reproach. He bore our sin outside the camp like the, like the sacrifices of old, like the day of atonement when they'd sacrifice those animals and take them outside of the gate because they bore the sin of the people, like that scapegoat that they would lay their hands on it and put the sins of the people and and send it away into the desert. So Jesus bore our reproach outside the camp. They took him outside the city. He was ostracized by his own nation, by his own culture, by his own people. He says, because Jesus went outside the camp for us, let us therefore go outside the camp and go to him and bear his reproach. You see what he's saying? There are going to be moments in your life, people, where you feel like you're being kicked out of the camp. You don't fit in anymore. You don't belong anymore. And what does he say? He doesn't say, well, that's going to happen. He says, let us go outside the camp and meet him. There is somebody waiting for us outside the camp. And it's, it's our king. It's our Savior. It's Jesus who went outside the camp for us, bearing our reproach. Now we go outside bearing his reproach. And there's nothing more valuable than the name of Jesus. We spend our lives, friends, trying to earn a name. 
whether it be by degrees, whether it be by money, whether it be by accomplishments, whether it be by even our own children. We spend our lives trying to earn a name when we've been called to bear his name. There is no name you can earn in heaven or earth which is anywhere near the name of Jesus. The more we see ourselves, as Colossians 3 says, as defined by him and included in him, the less we're ever going to make these distinctions based on fleshly things. There is only, as far as I can tell in the New Testament, there is only one division that God allows in the church. And that is a division between belief and unbelief. It's the only division I see. He never allows us to divide because of age. He says, fathers and sons, I've called you together. He doesn't allow us to even divide even though male and female are different, and God created us different to complement one another, he doesn't call us to be two separate churches. He says in Christ there is no male or female. He doesn't allow us to divide based on race. It may be easier for us all to start churches just with people that look like us and talk like us, but he doesn't allow for that. Now, I understand if you speak a different language than everybody else, maybe you need to meet with other people that speak your language. I get that. But I'm talking about when you speak the language, we're meant to come together. It's easy to say that when you're like the, the natives of Canada, you're the, you're the home group of Canada. You say, everybody become like us. God didn't call people to come to Canada and become Canadian. He called us all to become like him. So we might come back and say, yeah, you need to fit into this culture. No, we need to fit into his culture, all of us. And all of us will look different. All of us need to be a little uncomfortable and step out, out of our own culture and meet him. And outside the camp, there's going to be a beautiful menagerie of people. There's going to be uh, just that, that picture we see in heaven where he says, where they're just praising God and they go, you have called, you have died and purchased for yourself a people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. How blessed we are to live in a nation where we are seeing glimpses of that even now. How oh, can you imagine? How wonderful is that? We saw a glimpse of it on the day of Pentecost where people from all different people groups and language groups heard the same thing in their language. What was done at Babel where the nations were divided and the language groups were divided was undone on Pentecost where people heard the same thing. We need to see what he sees, hear what he hears. We need to see ourselves as the people. Lene Lenape, we are the real people. We are the people of God. There is no higher name. There's no higher honor. So what is our requirement as people of God? First and foremost, that we come out and we be separate. We be like him. He's not calling us. He's not calling us to find our own way to fit in. He's not calling even us to ask him to come and be like us. He's already come and bore our flesh. He's asking us now to come up higher, come up to him. And he's made a way for you to do that. Even when you don't feel holy, even when you feel the furthest thing from holy, he says, I am your father, I'm your God, you're my people. I will wash you, I will clean you, I will raise you up again. 
So he's called us to be separate, to come out from among them and be separate. He's called us to fellowship with him. Because guys, the way that this stuff right here that we're talking about becomes legalism is when, when you talk about the coming out and being separate and there's no presence of God to it anymore. There's no being with him. The whole point is that he'll be with us and we'll get to live with him and we get to be his people and he's our God. The point isn't for us to be different for different sake. The point is to be like him. We need to really make him our identity. Our identity and our name is in Christ Jesus. And if we ever allow division and strife to come into the body of Christ and define ourselves by something other than the name of Jesus, we have let the enemy have his way. What we define ourselves by and what we choose to unite under will ultimately be what we divide ourselves from others. What the, th- the banner we fly and the flag we wave that says this unites us, you better be careful which flag you're waving. Because that same flag that unites you will divide you from someone else. So you better make sure that flag is the flag of Jesus Christ. There's no room for competition or superiority. Simply the people of God saying, thank God all over Lloydminster today, the people of God are meeting. His tribe are meeting together. And we're singing songs. In different languages. We're singing songs in different styles. Some without music, some with music. We're hearing messages in different tones and different ways. But we bear his name and it matters. And it should matter. So as much as we say, oh Canada, we stand on guard for you. We say it as ambassadors, as missionaries, as strangers. We are not Canadians before we're citizens of heaven. We are first and foremost His people, the people of God. Stand up with me today.